Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 10.06 a.m. Pacific Standard Time. It is the 19th day of December 2023. Christmas coming quick. Coming real quick. Let me make sure I got some stuff here set up so that I'm not doing weird things to the stream. And I appreciate uh, Eliza for uh, the 121 Satoshis zapped it. I got just got in the zap.stream. I'm streaming to Twitch, YouTube, and zap.stream, but I cannot monitor all the um like all the comments from any of the other platforms if I'm getting any. I just I just use Zapstream because it's just becoming so easy to use. If you're if you're using like Restream to do streaming and you're an ostrich go check out zap.stream because they have the ability that they've enabled the ability for me to stream to more than one stream key. And that is honestly a game changer that nobody is talking about because it really is moving into the realm of uh, the legacy media platforms like restream and Streamyard and stuff like that. So go check it out. If you're not on Noster, I highly recommend that you start figuring out how to use it because I see legacy media, whether social or otherwise, becoming more and more captured and willingly captured, by the way. It's like they want it. They want to be captured. And I, I guess there's maybe a paycheck on the other end of all that. I don't know, nor do I care. We've got some stuff to do today. We're going to be talking about BlackRock has yet again made an amendment to their ETF application. FTX debtors and liquidators have reached some kind of quote-unquote novel and mutually beneficial settlement. We'll tell you about that. Human Rights Foundation has just cut $500,000 to 18 separate Bitcoin projects worldwide. We got that one. Uh, let's see here. Hold on for a second. Do I have this twice? I do have this twice. I didn't need that twice. Why do I have this twice? For the love of God. Hold on for a second. I got to check something out here. Uh, Everybody in the zap stream gets to see me doing business on air. Why is this up here? Oh, I've got it twice. Oh, well, well, I'm not going to worry about it because that's what happens when you do stuff live. Things fall through the cracks. Uh, we'll do the market report as a normal, and then we've got the the show piece, right? In the second half of the show, the first thing that I'm going to do is read you the letter to Kristen Smith, the chief executive officer of the Blockchain Association, from the desk of Elizabeth Warren. She's mad. She's really mad. In fact, her opening paragraph is almost a veiled threat. We're definitely going to get into that one. And if we have time, we're going to talk about Marathon. They're gearing up for the Bitcoin halving with a huge buy of mining equipment. Stacker.news is in the news. We'll get to that one. And the plebeian market gets nostrified. We'll have that one. But first up, I want to talk about Pleb Lab. No, not a sponsor. But I just love everything that Carr and the group over there at Pleb Lab have been doing. Uh, to support the you know, everything, Noster, Bitcoin, Lightning Network, you name it, it's all going over at Pleb Lab, and they have announced their top builder <coughs> competition. It's a hackathon, kind of, just think of it as a hackathon, but it's called Top Builder from Pleb Lab, which is located down there in Austin. Now, if I if I remember right, uh, January, it's somewhere like mid January that you have to have your applications into Pleb Lab by, and that's Pleb Lab, right? Pleb Lab. 
and we'll get to uh, hopefully they've got a an email is where you can uh, to get get your stuff. But if if you want to get it from the horse's mouth itself, it's uh, topbuilder.dev. That's topbuilder, T-O-P, builder.dev, D-E-V. And the whole thing is going down Thursday, March the 14th, 2024. So here's the thing. You're going to get mentorship, builder chats, workshops, startup day, there's some perks on the way. There's a uh, the top builder in the the guy that takes home or the person that takes home the trophy will be getting fifteen thousand dollars in Bitcoin. That's not bad. And your judges, there are five, three of them to be announced. But the first one that has been announced is Lisa Nugget. She is founder of Base Fifty Eight and Bitcoin Plus Plus Developer Conference. The second one is Brian. Achu, I think is how you pronounce his name, head of marketing and operations over at Wolf, which are some of the, one of the main sponsors of this particular thing. Now, the mentors, the, these are the people that you're going to be building alongside with. You got Topher. He's the CTO of BitEscrow. Carr, of course, because he's the co-founder and CEO of Pleb Lab. You've got Kube, a.k.a. Kean. I think it's Kean founder and CEO of Stacker News. And like I said, Stacker News is in the news. Uh, Super Testnet, chairman of FOSS at Pleb Lab. Teresa Martin, COO at Pleb Lab. Uh, Nick Teal, Bitcoin app developer. And Mark McCurahan, Kraken Digital Asset Exchange. I don't know what, they did not list what his uh, uh, office at, over there at Kraken is. But if you've got like a project that you want to hack on, uh, I highly recommend you get a hold of the guys over at Pleb Lab and enter into the top builder. That's Thursday, March the 14th in Austin. As far as I know, it's in Austin. And what else is going on in Austin? Why do I say it's probably in Austin? Because Pleb Lab is in Austin. There's a lot of Bitcoin stuff going on in Austin. But you know what else is going on in Austin at the exact same time that top builder is? South by Southwest from March 8th through, I think it's March the 16th, like eight full days of South by Southwest as if three wasn't enough. They extended it to five and now it's like over a week long. It's become ridiculous, but it's an event. I used to go to the old South by Southwest, like the first, I was part of the first three or two or something like that. I think it started in 88 or 87. And I went to the one in 80, 90 and then 91 I was there both years, and that was when it wasn't at the convention center. It was at the Hyatt Regency Hotel on the river in Austin. So I go, I go back quite a ways with South by Southwest. It is doesn't re, even remotely look like what it used to look like. You could actually go talk to you know industry professionals, just sit at sit at the bar and you know have a beer with them and stuff because it, the access was really easy. And now not so much, but the access will be easy for Bitcoiners, Lightning Network developers, Noster guys over at Pleb Lab, Top Builder. Please, if you have any, any inkling to go build, go build with the guys over at Pleb Lab and tell Carr I sent you. Now, here's the news. BlackRock makes key changes to the Bitcoin ETF ahead of an expected Launch Stacy Elliott decrypt new ticker. Who dis? BlackRock has chosen a new ticker for its iShares Bitcoin Trust, iBit. The new detail appeared in an amendment to the Asset Manager's S1 application, which was filed with the SEC yesterday. And on top of that, the filing now shows that the ETF will be cash only. Mm, that means new shares of the fund can only be created with straight-up cash, not Bitcoin. <laughs> not Bitcoin. <laughs> Sorry to be distorted at you, but it's just too funny. The switch was foreshadowed in minutes that the SEC released last week after it met with BlackRock and NASDAQ executives. Quote, the SEC just was not going to be comfortable enough with in-kind because it allows registered brokers to use Bitcoin, and that's not allowed. 
Bloomberg intelligence analyst Eric Balchuna said on Tuesday during an ETF webinar, quote, I don't think they want any unregistered subsidiaries to touch Bitcoin. Cash creation solves that. It means the issuer basically touches the Bitcoin and no one else. You see how this is moving? It may not seem like much, but it's yet another hint that things are moving in the right direction for BlackRock and that the expectation from market analysts that the SEC is set to make history by approving the first Bitcoin ETF in the United States may indeed be correct. It looked for a while that the iShares Bitcoin Trust would trade under the IBTC ticker. That's because in late October, it appeared on a list maintained by the Depository Trust and Clearing Corporation of active and pre-launch funds. In fact, it's still visible on an archived version of that page. An exchange-traded product is an investment vehicle that has its shares listed on an exchange. ETPs, or exchange-traded products, track the performance of underlying assets like Bitcoin and Ethereum or benchmarks like commodities, currencies, stocks, and bonds. Exchange-traded funds, ETFs, fall under the ETP umbrella but differ in one important way. A spot ETF would track the real-time price of Bitcoin, which none of the already approved future Bitcoin ETFs can do. The Securities and Exchange Commission has been steadfast in saying that there's too much volatility and risk of manipulation in crypto markets to allow a spot Bitcoin ETF to trade in the United States. But the past cycle of delays from the SEC were accompanied by meetings and feedback from the regulator fueling anticipation that an approval could finally be on the horizon. If approved, most market observers expect a large influx of capital to flow into, God forbid, crypto. Getting a ticker registered with the clearing and settlement company is an important prerequisite to having it trade on the exchange. The IBIT, I-B-I-T, ticker isn't on the current list, though. Somewhat confusingly, IBIT is the same ticker once used by issuer Defiance ETFs for its Daily Short Digitizing the Economy ETF, a fund it described in a press release as allowing investors to hedge the crypto industry. The ETF launched in September of 2022 and then shut down one year later. But there are reasons why IBTC wasn't an ideal ticker for BlackRock's new Bitcoin product. Bloomberg analyst Balchunas pointed out that BlackRock is already using it for one of its products in Europe. Quote, IBIT was available for recycle via liquidated Defiance ETF, and it's just as sober and boomer friendly as IBTC, he wrote on Twitter. All right, so it's just a, yet another addendum to the ongoing addendums that are being filed and refiled and filed again and again and again and again by BlackRock. They are apparently having constant and consistent meetings with the SEC, by the way, as is Grayscale and a whole host of other ones. They're just constantly meeting. And every time they meet, what happens right after? The person that met with the regulator, the SEC, then changes and makes an amendment to the filing. What this means is that they go have a meeting at the SEC. Gary Gensler's team sits down with these people and says, look, we don't like this. Change it. And then they go and then they change it. And then they amend it again. And then the regulator reads it and says, okay, we'll have another meeting. We like this, but now we don't like this because this change impacts this. So we need to, you need to change the language in that and then refile. And that's what, it is a constant back and forth. And the reason that that's important is because the regulator is not going to waste their time if they're not actually prepared to be serious about getting this thing done. Now, again, is it good for Bitcoin? I don't know. I really don't. Will money flow into Bitcoin because of it? Yeah. But we just read that this is this is now cash only. This last amendment or addendum, whatever you want to call it, to their filing specifically cuts out the ability to buy the ETF with anything but cash. Where apparently it was, well, you can buy it with cash 
and Bitcoin because we're just going to take that Bitcoin and we're going to put it into the coffers just like we would be buying Bitcoin and putting it into the coffers with the cash influx that people give us to buy into the Bitcoin ETF. That shit's no longer allowed. It is now straight up 100% cash on the barrel head only. That's really important to understand. They don't even want to touch an inflow of Bitcoin. That's pretty important to understand. What exactly it means, I don't know. We could conjecture all day long, but we don't have time. We've got other fish to fry because the Human Rights Foundation has granted $500,000 to 18 Bitcoin projects worldwide. That's right. More from Bitcoin Magazine, Nick Hoffman writing today. The Human Rights Foundation announced its most recent round of Bitcoin Development Fund grants per a press release sent to Bitcoin Magazine. The money is being granted to 18 projects focused on global education, Bitcoin core development, mining decentralization, and allowing developers in closed societies to participate and present at industry conferences. This announcement comes only a few months after its last round of grants in late September, which also saw them donating $500,000 to worldwide Bitcoin projects. While the HRF did not disclose exactly how much money each project is receiving, the following 18 projects are the recipients of today's rounds of grants. First up, Mostro, a decentralized, excuse me, A decentralized peer-to-peer Bitcoin exchange built by Venezuelan developer Francisco Calderon on top of Nostr. Mostro aims to establish an open protocol and specialize for developers in authoritarian regimes. Funding will support Mostro's progress in helping users in restrictive financial environments buy and sell Bitcoin in a censorship-resistant way. That's not going to make Elizabeth Warren very happy. <clears throat> Next up, Me Premier Bitcoin, which is a nonprofit organization providing open source Bitcoin education in Central America. Their Bitcoin diploma is already used in countries such as El Salvador, South Africa, Portugal, Honduras, Cuba, Guatemala, Costa Rica, Colombia, and Uruguay. HRF funding will specifically support international expansion and translation of these materials to closed societies. Next, Arabic HODL, making Bitcoin more accessible to more than 400 million Arabic-speaking people worldwide. Funds will support the creation of how-to guides, privacy and self-custody tutorials, educational podcasts, and foundational books on the principles of Bitcoin in Arabic, as well as best practices and how to get started with using and contributing to the network. I'm going to pause and say something about this. I think it's important to note that Bitcoin is the one thing that we have right now that cuts through all of the media bullshit. You know how many years, how many years I grew up thinking that the Russians were going to kill me. That the grandmothers and the children in Russia wanted me dead. The citizenry of Russia wanted me dead. I'm speaking of the Cold War. And then after, after that, after the, after the Berlin Wall fell and the Cold War kind of started cooling down and then eventually just kind of went away, it didn't happen immediately, but it, it did eventually happen. Next up, next up was what? All the Arabs want to kill me. All the, they, they want to cut my head off. And they want to, you know, I don't know, offer my, my dead body to Allah. I, I see that's the thing. I didn't know any Arab speaking people. I don't know, you know, didn't know any Muslims. And yet the messages that I was getting on the television set after the World Trade Centers came down is that all these people want me dead. All the citizenry of every Arabic speaking country want me dead. Now I realize the truth. None of this shit was actually true. It was all a freaking lie to get me all spun up and, 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 you know, have me just praise the Patriot Act as it came through or whatever. And, 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 and like, and, and embrace the, the renaming of French fries to freedom fries because France didn't want to have any part of the bullshit that happened after 9-11. Yet 
here we have Bitcoin and everything, everything about it is sowing these disparate parties of people that were taught to hate each other together through the common language of value and value transfer. It's amazing. Let's go on. NetBlocks is being supported in their efforts to monitor and report internet restrictions and shutdowns globally. The critical impact of shutdowns on human rights, activists, journalists, and the general public's right to freedom of expression, access to information, and political participation requires continuous monitoring. Funding will also support coverage of emerging threats to internet connectivity, particularly those impacting the Bitcoin network. Lorban is being supported for his work on Stratum V2, which is an upgrade on the current protocol Bitcoin miners use to communicate with mining pools. Stratum V2 enables mining pool users to select transactions for proposed blocks instead of relying on templates from pools, increasing censorship resistance by reducing the problematic power of pools. John Carlson is next for his ongoing contributions to updating and improving the Bitcoin Core app project, permitting users to run Bitcoin on their phones. Through this work, John hopes to lower technical barriers, making self-custody and self-verification of Bitcoin transactions more accessible to a broader audience. Funding will also support his efforts to broaden compatibility with Android phones and tablets. Area Bitcoin is going to get some money to expand its free Bitcoin educational content across multiple languages. Area Bitcoin, founded by Carol Salza and Kaka Ferlin, is a prominent Bitcoin educational resource based in Brazil, primarily operating in Portuguese with over 300,000 followers. Funding will support developing and translating videos and articles into Spanish and English to help target a wider audience in Latin America. Uh, Yeah, okay. Sorry, I kind of skipped over. I think they're translating from Portuguese to Spanish uh, because Brazil speaks Portuguese, not Spanish. And, and amazingly enough, Portuguese and Spanish are pretty damn different languages. I, I, it's, it sounds odd considering that Portugal is on the, you know, part of the, that little thing we call Spain, even though it's not Spanish at all, it's a completely different country. But you'd think that the countries being so close together that they would share a common language, but they don't. They're, it's very, very different. Berta Val. For Bitcoin educational work in Nicaragua, focusing on the human rights defender community, she will use funds to establish an interactive online Bitcoin training program for Nicaraguan dissidents and civil society leaders to help them become more resilient and robust in their efforts to resist the Ortega regime. Bitshala, an educational initiative led by Indian Bitcoiners that provides guidance and resources to developers entertaining the Bitcoin space, Botshala will use funding to create a repository of tutorials and technical presentations, organizing study groups, holding PR reviews, and nurture a vibrant Bitcoin community in India. And then Hack.BS, which is a nonprofit association in Italy, Funding there will be used to open a cypherpunk hackerspace, acting as a collaborative co-working center by day and an active events space, hosting meetups, workshops, and hackathons by night. Funds will also be used to help internationalize the center and bring in global expertise in the areas of financial freedom for the defense of privacy. Bitcoin Deepa, also known as the Pearl of Satoshi, <clears throat> is expanding the Sri Lankan Bitcoin community. Funds there will support monthly Bitcoin meetups in cities like Colombo, Gallier, Candy, and Ella. Assist merchants in adopting self-custodial Bitcoin acceptance methods, introducing bolt card-based lightning solutions, and enhancing education through translations. Funds will also support the launch of a Sinhalese language podcast called Bitcoin Katha. Exnumia, a nonprofit translating Bitcoin educational content into native African languages such as Shana, Malagasy, Amharic, Kishwahili, I can't pronounce half of these, and Lingala. Funding will support Exnumia's efforts to translate additional content into more languages, raise awareness of Bitcoin, and grow financial freedom oriented communities. Lola Leets, for her efforts in creating a Bitcoin privacy guide for beginners, 
with a special focus on activists, dissidents, and NGOs operating in hostile environments. The guide will help newcomers learn about privacy risks, assess personal threat vectors, learn privacy-preserving techniques, and understand Bitcoin's technology to make careful and informed decisions around privacy. Groundswell, a project founded by Hadia Masha that supports free Bitcoin education to diaspora and exile communities in the United Kingdom, particularly refugees from the Middle East. Funds will be used to host workshops, create training materials, set up wallets, onboard refugees with their first Satoshis, and educate refugees on how to send their Bitcoin to their families back home. Kupreet Singh for his work on Braid Pool, a proposed peer-to-peer mining pool designed to enhance censorship resistance. Braid Pool empowers miners to build their blocks, reducing the influence of pool operators to delay or prevent payouts. Funds will enable Kupreet's continued development of Braid Pool to increase Bitcoin censorship resistance and further decentralization. Seed Signer, a DIY Bitcoin signing device that anyone anywhere can build on their own, funds will facilitate the final stages of micro-Python research and development, eliminate Raspberry Pi dependencies, and enable operations on affordable microcontrollers to make Bitcoin self-custody even more affordable for the masses. Bitcoin Plus Plus, a developer-focused conference series around the world with a focus on long-form lectures and workshops. Developers will dive deep into the cutting edge of Bitcoin technology. Funding will cover educational efforts, general conference expenses, as well as travel expenses for developers from authoritarian countries. And finally, Bitcoin Atlantis, a Bitcoin conference taking place March the 1st through the 3rd in Madeira, Portugal. HRF funding will help human rights defenders, civil society leaders, and educators working in dictatorships to attend the event, share their experiences, and gain new contacts and resources. Okay, so I get that that was a long list. I really do. But it's important to understand that what the HRF is doing when they select these guys is they are really targeting what needs to be targeted. African countries, Middle East countries, Latin American countries. Honestly, these are the worst offending geographies in the world when it comes to freedom of speech, the passing, free passing of ideas amongst each other, and a whole host of other shit. I mean, the, the financial tyranny alone is a reason to get all this shit done. But what what excites me the most about the HRF, especially this round of grants, and well, actually not just this round, all their rounds of grants are specifically focused where they need to be focused. They are, are funding exactly, in my opinion, what they need to be funding and where they need to be funding it. There's no reason to have the majority of these grants be going to Western countries. I'm glad that some, like Pleb Lab and stuff like that, can get some of them. But I'm glad that the majority of this stuff is going to Central America and the continent of Africa and all these countries in the Middle East. That's important. Because like I said before, Bitcoin is the one thing that we have that cuts through the media lies and allows us to bind each other up together in a friendship that we would never have thought possible if we just listened to what the talking heads on the news had to say. Now, let's run the numbers. CNBC futures and commodities got West Texas oil climbing back up the charts. One and a quarter percent to the upside brings us to $73.38. Brent North Sea up likewise one and a quarter to $78.95. Natural gas is down one quarter of a point to $2.49 a thousand cubic feet. Gasoline is up 1.55% to $2.19 a gallon. Good luck finding that price. Gold is climbing up over half a point to $2,050.90. Silver is up 0.82%. Platinum is up 1.15. Copper is up one and a quarter. Palladium, man, swinging for the fences, 3.3% to the upside. 
Uh, ag is pretty much fully mixed today. <clears throat> Soybeans down a point, corn down almost a point, rough rice down 1.06. Biggest winner today is coffee. Wow, six points to the upside. I wonder what the hell happened there. And wheat is next up at 1.05% to the upside. I got live cattle. It's down fifth of a point. Lean hogs are down over a full point. Feeder cattle are down one-fifth of a point. Oh, we're saved. All the legacy futures are in the green. Dow up a half a point. S&P up 0.38. NASDAQ up a quarter of a point. S&P mini is up 1.12. By the way, in case you did not know, the Dow Industrial Index, for lack of a better term, uh, all-time high. Not exactly today, but it breached its all-time high a couple of days ago. And not that I think that that's intrinsically important as much as to note that people still believe in the legacy financial system to the point that through all what we know about what's going on in the financial world, it doesn't matter. It's right now, in the short term, it does not matter to these people. All right, so we got Elizabeth Warren cackling. We got the Dow reaching all-time highs. Honestly, it kind of weakens our stance a little bit. That's okay. We're going to win anyway, but it would just be better if it was sooner than later. All of the bond yields have dropped. The 30-year is now yielding 4.3%, 20-year 4.2%, and the 10-year is yielding 3.9%. The dollar index has dropped as well, 102.16 on the ICE US dollar index today. $41,907 is the price you're going to get for one Bitcoin. And the average transaction values are 0.5 Bitcoin. Median transaction value is 79 cents, which means ordinals are still ruling the day. Block times, 9 minutes, 0 seconds. We've got 2.7 BTC taken on a per block basis and 431.4 in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a 4% increase in hash rate. We are at 5,000, nope, 5,000, 539 exahashes per second. Your shitcoin indicator, Dogecoin, is holding at nine United States pennies. Now, the market cap is $823.9 billion. That is 6.02% of gold's market cap, and you can buy 20 ounces of your favorite shiny metal rock with your one Bitcoin. Uh, Lightning network capacity is 5,007.08 BTC coming in at a value of $210.8 million for the Lightning network. Uh, 14,607 Lightning lightning nodes that we know about and 60,763 separate payment channels active that we know about. 79.6% of all that's being run over Tor the mempool is full. It's a full pool. Oh my God. 355 blocks carrying 300,000 unconfirmed transactions waiting to clear the mempool at high priority prices of 181 Satoshis per V-byte. 137 will get you in for low priority and anything under 18.1 is being purged from mempools around the world. Uh, mempool.space is flashing a hash rate of 527.9 exahashes per second. So we're, we're pretty close there. Um, just getting back to the, to the transaction fees right now, mempool.space is saying that the average transaction fee is 68,000 Satoshis per transaction, not per V byte, but per transaction. So your run of the mill Normal Bitcoin transaction looks like the average is costing just under $30, which I'm sure is sending everybody into shock and awe, but it is what it is. Now, letter 6173 from Secret Tether Service, yesterday's uh, Bitcoin and podcast episode 834 says, with 200,000 Satoshis, by the way, consider these 200K sats a bounty to get your node working. Or just accept larger boosts. I I don't know what to tell you, Letter. No, I didn't get it. I'm absolutely certain that you didn't lose it because it's still in, it should still be in your wallet. But I I I, I I'm giving myself hundred thousand Satoshi uh invoices 
directly over to my to my lightning node, which is what I use for podcasting 2.0. And they go through just fine. Multiple hundred thousand invoices without a glitch. I don't know what's going on. I've asked Oscar Mary over at Fountain. I've asked a couple of other people and nobody seems to be able to give me a straight answer. I know it's not my node. I know that for a fact because I'm able to cut very large invoices to myself without it without a hitch. So I don't know what the hell's going on, but I do appreciate you trying. I really do. Pies with five hundred, thank you, sir. No, thank you. Pies with four ninety nine, no, thank you. No, thank you. God's death with three seventy, and thank you. No, thank you. And God's death with three seventy, thank you, sir. No, thank you. And that's gonna do it for the weather report. Welcome to part two of the news that you can use. And here we're at it. The letter from the desk of Elizabeth Warren, Massachusetts, United States Senator, dated December the 18th, 2023, addressed to Kristen Smith, the chief executive officer of the Blockchain Association in Washington, D.C. Dear Mrs. Smith. I write regarding a troubling new report that your association and other crypto interests are flexing a not-so-secret weapon, a small army of former defense, national security, and law enforcement officials to work on your behalf to undermine bipartisan efforts in Congress and the Biden administration to address the role of cryptocurrency in financing Hamas and other terrorist organizations. Since the horrific October 7th attack in Israel by Hamas terrorists, new information has revealed that crypto has become an essential part for Hamas's operational activity, and the CEO of massive crypto exchange Binance pled guilty to charges that include failure to implement programs to prevent and report suspicious transactions with terrorists, including Hamas's Al-Qassam brigades, Palestinian Islamic Jihad, Al-Qaeda, and the Islamic State of Iraq and Syria, otherwise known as ISIS, ransomware attackers, money launderers, and other criminals, as well as matching trades between U.S. users and those in sanctioned jurisdictions. The exchange's willful failures allowed money to flow to terrorists, cyber criminals, and child abusers through its platform. In response to these concerns, a number of members of Congress have introduced legislation to address gaps in the anti-money laundering and countering the financing of terrorism frameworks that bad actors use crypto to exploit. But the response of the crypto industry appears to be focused on delaying and denying new rules that would restrict crypto's use by terrorists and criminals. To do so, according to a new report in Politico, quote, The industry is increasingly flexing a not-so-secret weapon, a small army, blah, blah, blah. We already went through that. Coinbase, the largest U.S. crypto exchange, announced this month that former Defense Secretary Mark Esper and other national security experts have joined its Global Advisory Council, which also includes Bush counterterrorism advisor Francis Townsend. The Blockchain Association last week sent to Capitol Hill a letter signed by 40 former military officials, ex-intelligence officers, and national security professionals that downplayed illicit activity in crypto relative to traditional finance and argued against policies that would drive digital asset players overseas, a frequent industry talking point. The crypto industry is showcasing its relationships with former officials at a critical moment as lawmakers and the Biden administration focus on the role digital currency has played in financing Hamas and other terrorist organizations. End quote. <clears throat> the crypto industry revolving door was open even before the current crisis. For example, in May of 2023, Coinbase created its Global Advisory Council, quote, to help navigate the complex and evolving landscape of the crypto industry and strengthen relationships with strategic stakeholders around the world, end quote. This council initially included three former members of Congress, Senator Patrick Toomey, 
Representative Tim Ryan and Representative Sean Patrick Maloney, who had served on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence and has been nominated by President Biden to be the United States Representative to the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development. This abuse of revolving door is appalling, revealing that the crypto industry is spending millions to give itself a veneer of legitimacy while fighting tooth and nail to stonewall common sense rules designed to restrict the use of crypto for terror financing rules that could cut into crypto company profits. It also reveals significant gaps in the nation's ethics laws. These gaps allow former government officials, including former national security officials, to leave their positions in the public trust and almost immediately cash in and go to work as lobbyists or advisors for private sector industries with a keen interest in federal policy. This is wrong. Americans should be confident that government officials are working on their behalf rather than auditing for high-paid lobbying jobs or abusing the connections that they have made in government service to influence members of Congress and regulators after they have made a trip through the revolving door. Members of Congress have introduced legislation that would close loopholes in current lobbying laws and restrict the abuse of the revolving door in many of these practices. But, Congress and the public deserve transparency about the extent to which crypto firms are using revolving door practices to fight efforts to close holes in current anti-money laundering and terrorist finance laws. And I therefore ask that you provide answers to the following questions no later than January the 14th, 2024. One. How many former military, civilian government officials or members of Congress are currently employed by or on behalf of your association? A. Please provide a full list of such officials and their former roles in the government. B. How much are they compensated on an annual basis? 2. For all officials listed in response to question 1, please provide A. A summary of their responsibilities. B. Are they registered lobbyists or do they work as advisors, counselors, or in other roles? C, a list of all legislation or regulatory activities where they have been involved with in Congress or the administration. D, a list of all Biden administration officials they have met with in relation to these activities. E, a list of other activities, meetings with financial or sorry, with federal government officials. F, any federal experience with cryptocurrency or terrorist financing. G, specifically, were any of the individuals who signed the November 15th, 2023 letter sent by your organization employed by or compensated by any other crypto firms or crypto industry associations? If so, please list these individuals. Three, with regard to the individuals listed in response to question number one, was your association in contact with any of them about employment while they were still employed by the government? If so, please list all individuals and the nature of their contacts. And four, finally, does your association have a code of ethics that restricts contacts with active government officials about future employment or restricts the activities of former government employees that are now working for your association or on its behalf? If so, please provide a copy of this Code of Ethics. Sincerely, Elizabeth Warren, United States Senator. Okay. I don't think she understands what can of worms she's trying to open. She hasn't opened it yet. Why do I say that? The revolving door policy seems to be something that she's, she's, it's, she's aboard. I mean, it's, it's abomination. It's abominable that this should actually be a thing. Revolving door policies. Oh my God. Ex-government officials going to work in, in private industry as part of a lobbying group? Hmm, what, is that, what does that sound like? Shall we start with the Federal Drug Administration, the FDA, who consistently and has consistently sent former FDA employees at the highest levels of the FDA to work for Pfizer, 
to work for Monsanto, to work for Bayer and Bayer Crop Sciences, shall I go on? And by the way, when these people decide that they're bored over there in their private jobs, they come back to government regulatory agencies. They come back to the FDA. This has happened many times, many, many, many times. And that's just the FDA. We've been bitching about the revolving door policy as libertarians for years, decades, in fact, because it has been a standard operating procedure. But now, now it's, it just shouldn't be allowed. Does Elizabeth Warren expect there not to be a terrible amount of pushback, not by the crypto industry? but by pharmaceutical companies, crop science companies, all the rest of the people in the agriculture, the FDA handles a grand swath. The Food and Drug Administration, FDA, Food and Drug Administration, food and drugs comp, you know, basically come together to form a massive swath of the United States economy. After food and drug, you got energy. You got transportation. Ah, but food and drug? I, I, I posit that that's, those together are probably the largest, that's the largest two industries that the United States has. And it has been a revolving door for decades. If... Maybe what maybe what this takes is that we send co- take this letter and send copies of it to the president of Pfizer, the board of directors at Bayer Crop Science, and say with a note on it says Elizabeth Warren is putting you on notice. What happens then? What happens when we send it to the heads and the you know the uh, board of directors over at Exxon? Because energy is going to be the energy has this shit going on too. Do you not think? that the heads of energy regulators are not passing through Exxon and Shell and all the rest of them, and then coming back to the energy regulatory environment of Washington, D.C.? If you think that they are not, then you are wrong. Maybe, maybe they should be made aware of this, that Elizabeth Warren, is really, she's going to close this down because what's good for the goose, good for the gander. But because this is the crypto industry, do you think the heads of Exxon are really looking at it? Do you think they actually know that their blessed revolving door policy is now under fire by Elizabeth Warren? I think that she has doth protested too much. And I get the feeling this is going to come back to bite her in the ass. This is a we will primary your ass situation And I don't think she understands it. So, anybody that's listening to my voice, maybe, just maybe, that on every social media platform that you can find, every phone number that you can call, maybe we should. Maybe we should make this the most embarrassing letter that Elizabeth Warren has ever written. Maybe we should force this into the public eye to the point that it is not only the most embarrassing letter, but the most damaging letter to her career that Elizabeth Warren and her office has ever written. Because it literally is putting to the fire the way Washington actually fucking works. And she's just sitting there with a can opener like the four-year-old in the middle of the kitchen floor trying to figure out how do I use this to open up this can? And the mother finally looks at the daughter sitting on the floor going, oh my God, it's filled with, I don't know, squid ink. And it's going to get everywhere. It's going to be a mess. And then the mother is just basically going to take it all away from her. I don't see a whole lot of difference. I don't. I don't see a lot of difference. She's genuinely going on the offensive of the very thing that makes the largest industries in the world functional. Not that, I mean, the thing about it is, is that 
Here, here's, here's the catch. I actually agree with her. I actually agree with Elizabeth Warren. None of these fucking people that have spent their careers in Washington, D.C. at the regulatory helm should go to work for the companies that they helped regulate. Yet that's what she's attacking. And if you don't think that that's going to piss a lot of people off, when we start saying, you know what, Elizabeth, you're right. We should shut them all down. We should, sh- no, 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 shut them all down. That, I think, I think she just put her foot in it. But unless we act, nobody will know that she's put her foot in it. So it's time to act. It's time to make sure that everybody who has a revolving door, that it's necessary for them to have a revolving door, get a copy of this letter and point out that they are under attack. All right, Marathon gears up for Bitcoin having it's bought two mining sites for $179 million. Cointelegraph, Gareth Jenkinson is writing, Marathon Digital will pay $178.6 million for two mining data centers as it looks to increase its capacity ahead of the Bitcoin mining reward having in 2024. Marathon announced on December the 19th that it will acquire two operational Bitcoin mining sites from Generate Capital, totaling 390 megawatts of capacity. Marathon's Bitcoin mining portfolio currently consists of 584 megawatts with 97% of its capacity provided by third-party data centers. Upon completion of the transaction in early 2024, Marathon will have 910 megawatts of mining capacity, 45% of which will be owned and run by the company itself. Marathon will still outsource 55% of its mining capacity. The new data centers are located in Texas and Nebraska, of all places, in the United States and have additional space to allow Marathon to expand its Bitcoin mining operations. The company plans to double its operational hash rate to 50 exahashes over the next two years. The acquisition of the new sites allow Marathon to take ownership of approximately 390 megawatts of, megawatts of operational capacity, 82 of which are currently vacant and available for immediate expansion. Other Bitcoin mining tenants currently occupy 244 megawatts, while Marathon already occupies 64 of the capacity at those sites. Marathon said that the deal will reduce its cost of mining a single Bitcoin by 30%. The firm also aims to deploy 82 megawatts of capacity at the sites with its own mining hardware as hosting clients begin to depart from the two data centers. Marathon will continue to install additional mining equipment to increase its hash rate. Marathon currently has seven exahashes of miners on order, the first tranche of which is set to be delivered and installed January 2024. The statement from Marathon Chairman and CEO Fred Thiel notes that the company has been looking to diversify its portfolio of Bitcoin mining assets over the past year. Quote, by acquiring the sites in Granbury, Texas and Kearney, Nebraska from Generate, we have an opportunity to reduce our Bitcoin production cost at these sites to capitalize on energy hedging opportunities and to expand our operational capacity, end quote. Marathon Chief Financial Officer Solomon Khan added that the company had deliberately been increasing its cash position in Bitcoin holdings on its balance sheet while reducing debt ahead of the Bitcoin mining reward having in 2024, quote, by reducing our current operating cost at these sites by 30% and providing us with ample expansion opportunities, this transaction is immediately accretive to our organization, Khan said. Marathon Digital Holding Sots revenue surged 670% year over year on the third quarter of 2023, increasing its Bitcoin production five-fold year on year. The results saw Marathon also swing to a quarterly profit with $64.1 million of net income in the third quarter, according to the firm's November 8th results filing. The firm partly attributed the improved financial results to a 467% spike in BTC production from 6.7 mined BTC per day in the third quarter of 2022 to 37.9 per day in the third quarter of 2023. Man, they went from mining 6.7 BTC a day 
And a year later, they're mining 37.9 a day. That is, that is phenomenal growth. It's actually rather scary, but it just goes to show that I don't think anybody really gives a shit what Elizabeth Warren thinks anymore. I, I don't think Texas is going to stand by and just let something this big just slip through their fingers because they were not going to act in Washington, D.C. at a state level. If you think Texas is going to let this shit slip through their fingers, you're wrong, brother. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong. This is going to be a fight at the state level. This is going to be a 10th Amendment function. The states are just going to go, you know what? Shove it up your ass. We're not, we're just not. I I think that that's very much on the table. Will it happen? I don't know. But if anybody will do it, it's going to be somebody like Texas who has that much mining capacity within the state borders. Now, Stacker News. I'm sad to read this one, but Stacker.News has indeed introduced foreign asset control compliance. This is from NoBSBitcoin.com. Quote, in the coming weeks, we will begin introducing non-custodial wallet options, among other things. Operating in the United States requires us to not provide financial-like services certain in certain regions, even if those financial-like services amount to pennies of value on average like they do on Stacker News. Soon, if the IP address of your browser session indicates that you're located in a sanctioned region, we're going to prevent you from transacting with our wallet. It's unlikely that there's many stackers in these regions, but as we continue working on the understanding of the laws that we are obligated to follow, we will provide you with as many services as we are legally allowed. Please, mommy, may I have some more? Quote, we remain committed to never storing a stacker's IP address without permission, and that's that's good on them. All of this compliance stuff is free and open source like everything else, so you can be reasonably certain that we are only doing what we say we are. Okay, so this this is the second time that I've hit on this, but now it looks like this is actually going to happen. Um, and I I hate to see it, and I know you hate to see it as well, but this kind of shit is not going to stop. We are firmly in the then they fight you phase. Yeah, I know, Kid Warp, WTF myself. But that's, see, this is the knock-on effects because this whole DAML thing, the Digital Assets and Money Laundering Act or whatever it is that Elizabeth Warren is pushing, it's not even out of committee. It's not, it, it probably won't be taken to the floor for a vote. And yet... Everybody that has something to do with this industry, you can already see them scrambling to figure out how they're going to comply with something that's not even hit the floor, which kind of speaks to me thusly. It may not happen this time, but it's probably inevitable. Well, it probably is if we don't do anything. And as much as I hate lobby groups as much as anybody else, I... you've. I got to support places like Bitcoin Policy Institute. And as far as I, you know, as much as I hate the name, the Blockchain Association, even though I like the Bitcoin Policy Institute much more because they're a little bit more, I think that they're a little bit more targeted, but I don't think they're as effective as the Blockchain Association simply because they've, Blockchain Association's got a lot more money and they get funded by people like Coinbase. But it's going to be a fight. And I I really, I'm going to reiterate, the letter that I read to you from Senator Warren to Blockchain Association CEO needs to be out in the public so that the FDA regulators understand that if that door closes for us, it's probably going to have to close for them. Otherwise, we're going to have some really serious backlash. Even the media won't put up with that shit, or at least I say that. But if anything, I mean, that's such a blatant, well, it's okay for you guys to do it, but it's not okay for you other guys to do it. We're dealing with a media that is dying on the vine. They need clicks. And I get the feeling that this one would be clickbaity. So that's why this letter needs to be sent to the executive boards of all companies that depend on the revolving door policies. If we don't fight it, 
Nobody, I mean, we got to fight this thing. I mean, we've got the Blockchain Association. We've got Bitcoin Policy Institute. We've got a, you know, a handful of these guys hanging out. But they're going to lose steam if we don't throw some fire on them. And I'm not talking about just money. I'm talking about time, talent, and treasure. Just send in this letter and with a few notations on it to the executive board of Exxon probably will catch some eyeballs. It's a scary situation for every single one of those industries. And if we want to defend people like Stacker News and not having to do this shit, then we're going to have to gut up and basically say, God, as much as I don't like the whole situation with the FDA and the federal regulators that, that regulate the FDA, we're going to have to send this shit over to Bear Crop Science because they are not going to be happy with this shit. I mean, if I have to pick up my we- my enemy's weapon to fight my enemy with, I will do so. Last one up, plebeian market gets nostrified. No BS Bitcoin finishing the day. Plebeian market is a self-sovereign marketplace of the internet powered by Bitcoin and the Lightning Network for payments and by Noster for communications. Quote, huge shout out to our developer team for building and Nostrifying plebeian market over the past six months. We're so proud of them. If you have any questions or comments, ask in our Telegram group here. And of course, they give a link. So what's new? 100% on Noster and NIP15 compliant. For any stalls created on Noster with NIP15, buyers will be able to purchase products from those stalls in the new multi-stall shopping cart. Lightning payments. Payments will ricochet off Plebeian Market's Albi wallet directly to the seller's LN wallet. If a value-for-value contribution percentage has been set, the contribution will be taken before the rest of the sats are sent to the seller. Make sure you add your Lightning address to your profile to receive your payments. New multi-stall shopping cart. Buyers can add multiple products to their shopping cart from different vendors and stalls that are NIP15 compliant. That's important. Noster private messages with notifications are now active. New stall browser. This feature allows buyers to view all NIP15 market stalls on Noster. Improved layout and browsing. Interface to bind external identities to your Noster account. Plebeian market skin in the game badge. Quote, for auctions that go above a certain amount of money, we ask participants to buy the badge to show that they're serious. A seller can also select the skin in the game badge requirement when they are setting up an auction. Noster login, and here it is. Users can log in or generate a brand spanking new set of Noster keys to plebeian market with their Noster keys. Now, insects are not stored on PM. It is stored locally in the browser. So use Git Albi. Okay, so it just dawned on me that when I was reading that thing about stacker.news, that's not the second time that stacker.news made that uh, made that statement. It was Albi that made the first statement a couple of days ago, and now stacker.news is following suit. And I should have been very much more clear about that. I'm sorry that I wasn't. But getting back to this plebeian market thing, what I wish, and I'm I'm really grateful for these guys over at plebeian market for doing the right thing and making plebeian market nostrified because honestly, this is the only way that we're all going to be able to move forward. We cannot depend on centralized identity services any longer. We've got to use private public key pairs for damn near everything now because the world is just on fire and it's a huge clown show and I don't give a shit anymore. But I would like somebody to consider doing the following. Yes, I know there are ways around this, but I just think it would be a good business opportunity if somebody sets up a stall on plebeian market and says, you bring me whatever Amazon item you want to buy, and I will buy it for you and ship it to you once I receive your lightning payment, which means that the stall operator would probably immediately have to report that income to the IRS if they're in the United States. So let's just keep it local. You're a U.S. vendor. You got to stall on plebeian market. And your job is to make sure that I can buy a Roadcaster Pro 2 from you. 
and you buy it from Amazon for me, ship it to me, and you take my Satoshis. But you'll have to report that as income, okay? So just keep that in mind. But if somebody were like, you know, I want to do that. I'll, I'll do the reporting. I'll, I'll take the hit. I'll make sure that the IRS has nothing to bitch about because every single transaction will be noted at the time that it was taken so that you can get a price of Bitcoin at the time on the day that it was taken. And then you buy the product for me. I would love that. I would use that. That would make sense to me, right? But here's the other thing is that I know that I could probably do this with BitRefill and buying Amazon cards. So I don't want to leave them out in the wind to twist on this. If you want to do this, you can buy BitRefill Amazon branded gift cards with Satoshis via the Lightning Network and do it that way. But I just, I'd love to see the plebeian market and, you know, Nostra based markets have stalls that would do this for me. Because as much as I love BitRefill, I think plebs, I think all plebs across the world deserve a shot at being able to do something that they want to do instead of having to go to the fiat mines all goddamn day. Now, let's reflect. The end of show, stories are done. Let's just reflect for just a minute. I really want to go back and reiterate just how important the subject matter that was presented in Elizabeth Warren's letter to the Blockchain Association is. I highly recommend that you go get that letter. It's in my show notes. It's in, a, it's in the format of a PDF and you can go read it for yourself. I would read it twice and three times. And I would make sure that while you're reading it, I'm going to give you a thought prompt. Read it as if you were an executive that depended on hiring people from the FDA group of regulators out of the federal government to help you run your shit. Do it with the eye like you were the CEO of Exxon or the board of directors of Bear Crop Science or any of the other, the Sackler family, you know, the, their pharmaceutical company, Novo Nordisk. I mean, if they're selling their shit in the United States, they got to comply, which means that they've probably got a couple of people that used to work for the FDA to tell them how the FDA works so that they can figure out how to actually work the system, Right. Read it from that standpoint, read it from the, behind that set of eyeballs, and you will see a very different letter. You won't see a letter that actually threatens Bitcoin. You will see a letter that substantially threatens 80% of how the United States relationships between businesses and government act. It's that that's their door between each other. She wants to close it down for one industry. She threatens on closing it down for all, even though I'm pretty certain that she thinks she can get away with it. Well, it's just for you guys, but bear will be okay. Not if we get that whole set of people pissed off at Elizabeth Warren, but the only way that happens is to send them the letter and tell them how within Four sentences, no more than, I'd actually suggest in no more than three sentences as a cover letter to Warren, to Elizabeth Warren's letter that you send the board of directors of Exxon. In those three sentences, it should clearly state, this is going to affect you. Get on board with us now or suffer the consequences later. With that said, I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin And, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.